when Beyonce's thematically and musically provocative recording Lemonade did not capture Album of the Year at last Sunday's Grammy Awards, many in the music industry, including the artist who took the honor, cried foul. Music that addresses contemporary racial issues is not always welcomed or rewarded by the music industry or the record-buying public. Nonetheless, young musicians at Indiana University are still hoping to participate in the time-honored tradition of effecting social change through music. Aubrey Cedar witnessed several of them doing just that last summer. On a warm June day, the courthouse square in downtown Bloomington is packed. These people, though, are not here to enjoy the sunshine or to patronize restaurants and stores. These Bloomingtonians have congregated for a local rally one of many rallies held across the country over the course of the last two years in support of the National Black Lives Matter movement. The music you're hearing is Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come, arranged by Mike Gronsky, with vocals and original raps by Dexter Clardy and Chris Redding Jr. Am I the only one who thinks it's not a coincidence that this is what the record deals I had paying for? There's a system in place. You pay the hungry for the wrong, just keep the bills in their face. And you give them a couple chains and make them glisten, knowing that the real mission is to keep the music out of its original intentions. The three met and became friends in the popular Indiana University Jacobs School of Music class known as Soul Review. We are subdivided based upon the color of skin. Well, truthfully, America ain't messing with melanin at all. And we, we played uh, two original songs that day, uh, one that Dexter had written and one that Chris wrote. And I had arranged music to those separately uh, very, very recently. And, uh, you know, we just, we build the show around the audience and the purpose of why we're playing the music. Light skin, dark skin, brown skin, no skin, raise your fist in unity so we can all win now. They play music together often in class, but they came together for this special occasion because the deaths of so many black men and women at the hands of the police over the past few years moved them to action. They knew that it was time for a change, and they wanted to be a part of it, not just as concerned citizens, but also as musicians. And the crazy thing is, like, especially in, in the relation to me and C. Red's pieces, they were written even before some of these incidents had happened. So it just, I mean, it, it kind of, it really, relevant. yeah, it, it hit home that something I could have, that I've written months ago or weeks ago, or whatever, could be relevant to something that's happened, you know, in the now. I wish I knew how it would feel Musicians have been making music to lend to social justice movements for centuries. African-American civil rights movements past and present are awash in music. My name is uh, Dr. Tyron Cooper. Uh, I am an assistant professor in African-American and African diaspora studies here at Indiana University. A classical and jazz guitarist, a lyricist and composer, a two-time Emmy Award winner and six-time Emmy-nominated film score composer, Cooper has traveled around the world performing and recording with such artists as Diana Ross, Bo Diddley, Max Roach, and many others. Well, I think when you think about, you know, the civil rights or civil rights in general, you got to think about how it inherently requires us or a group of people, I would say, to galvanize around uh, the sense of struggle, but also the idea of, of resistance. 
So if you think about it like that and, you, and going towards your question about when uh, did particularly black people start using uh, music to uh, forward the struggle, you got to think about it really, it goes as far back as the 18th and 19th century, Negro spirituals, uh, enslaved black folk uh, who were really involuntarily brought over here from the from from Africa, West and Central Africa, uh, to the New World, uh, South America, the Caribbeans, and uh, here in the United States, uh, they they've always resisted from the coast of Africa uh, to, to to through through the Middle Passage, when many of them would jump off of ships to what they deemed to be freedom. You know, <laughs> I'd rather die than to be on this ship and be a slave. You know, there's a Negro spiritual says, before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. I'm going home to my Lord and be free. And so in the 18th and 19th century, uh, uh, many of the slaves actually converted to Christianity. And mm-hmm. right. And uh, while some chose to worship in ways that uh, reflected the uh, heritage of their European counterparts, others chose to uh, worship in ways that reflected their African heritage heritage. And mm-hmm. so that resulted in what we now know as the Negro spiritual. We'll be this kind of religious song, some saw it as a religious song, per, per, uh, particularly outsiders, saw it as a religious song. But this is a fight song as well. This is a song of resistance. You know, uh, soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. Soon I will be done with the troubles of this world. The troubles of this world. The troubles of this world. Soon I will be done with the troubles of this world. Going home to live with God. Going home to live with God. Soon I will be done with the troubles of this world. Home, where's home? Mm-hmm. Some might think of it as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going home to heaven. That the metaphysical sense, the metaphysical sense of freedom from this physical bondage. But there's this idea of the double entendre, the double meaning in the Negro spiritual. That means like home could be to the north physical escape right Mm -hmm. so this kind of a idea of this always thinking about getting out of this bondage this idea of freedom always resisting so the african the enslaved african was not this passive person or the not these passive people that just stood by and let these things happen to them they were always resisting and so that idea of resistance has been transformed in various forms in subsequent historical mm-hmm. moments I was born by the river in a little tent oh and just like 1964 Sam Cook says a change is going to come. And you got to contextualize that historically to figure out what is he, you know, kind of what, what is that song, to, to kind of get the meaning of that song. Having seen 1954 Oliver Brown versus the Board of Education, which has had multi, I mean, just monumental impact on uh, desegregation, right? Uh, uh, having uh, experienced the social climate of uh, Emmett Till down in Money, uh, Mississippi, who was basically lynched uh 
the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955. Uh, when Sam Cooke says the change is going to come, this is kind of reflecting the consciousness of the people, the idea that s- surely something different has to come. We've had laws, mm-hmm. we've had marches, we've had legislation, but surely something else has to come. We're a winner. In 1967, Curtis Mayfield uh, in the Oppressions, we're a winner. We're a winner. Don't ever let anybody say that you can't make it because a feeble mind is in your way. You know, galvanizing people around movement. Uh, 1968, James Brown, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. (laughs) And then you can fast forward up to hip-hop, 1982. So all of these things are tangible examples of how black folk have been grappling with the idea of freedom in the United States. And they have been expressing this through music, expressing this mm-hmm. consciousness, expressing this collective agency, the idea that we will continue to struggle, we will continue to resist. Seven feet. Barren, strange Though many protest anthems have become timeless hits, The price of discussing political issues has been high for some black artists. There's always been pushback. I mean, this goes back as far as Paul Robeson in the 30s and 40s, you know, uh, uh, having his, you know, passport taken and can't travel, can't can't, uh, 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 support himself economically anymore because of the way that he spoke out. Uh, and spoke truth to power. So this is a tradition. This is nothing new. You, we see, we saw it with Beyonce just recently, uh, with her uh, performance of uh, what was the song that was uh, formation. formation? Yes. And so you see, you, see, you this, th- these things are nothing new. Artists have always been grappling with what do I say and how do I say it, and what are the implications of me saying it. There have been artists throughout history that have been. Uh, uh, Really, their careers have been damaged. And when James Brown, when he when he did say it loud, "I'm black and I'm proud," he lost half of his audience. It's just a certain perception, I think, from an industry standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, where black music has always had to be accessible and acceptable to to the idea of whiteness, in the sense of white folk had to be able to accept the language. Uh, the, the the dialogue, the messaging uh, in black music. You won't see that much of that going on mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 or uh, ex- marketed in the industry, the broader music industry. Uh, it's just not, that's just not what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Dexter and Chris have noticed that popular artists these days aren't putting out very many records with truly meaningful lyrics. What happened at the New Orleans? Our, our anthems have nothing to do with our struggle. with being better. We instead, and I have a I have a line that says, "Give them a couple chains and make them glisten," knowing that the real mission is to keep the music out of its original intentions. That means we're distracted. You you say, "Hey, look over here. Look over here. This this is what you want. This is what you want. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. We'll give it a little bit. We'll give it a little bit so the people that." are listening to that they're they're happy and whatever but you're more distracted by this beautiful gold chain 
you're more distracted at the fact that this is where you're going to make your money. This is, this is what's hot right now. So you're going to keep listening to this. We're going to keep putting this on the radio. We're going to say that this is okay for you to listen to, not, not Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is a seven-time Grammy Award-winning rap artist, and he's never one to shy away from discussing political issues in his music. He performed at the 2016 Grammy Awards, using the opportunity to address political issues of importance to the black community through his music for an audience of millions. Uh, and when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I'll be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. Dr. Cooper has used music as a way to empower himself throughout his life. He's also, like the artists he's discussed, used music as a tool to bring people together, to find common ground, and to make change. Music has always been therapeutic for me, in the sense that it's always kept me uplifted. Uh, I do state, and I'm actually working on a current project now called Blues for the Times, where I'm actually looking at a lot of the things that's going on in society, and I'm giving commentary about those things, uh, but at the same time, I'm thinking about how, uh, how we might resolve them. I'm trying to bring resolution. I don't want to just kind of say, hey, we have these problems and I'm, and I'm angry. Music helps me to move past anger and start thinking about how we might resolve these types of things and how we might speak to each other, uh, albeit from different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and all these different types of things. But how might we find a common ground to begin to understand each other? That's what I use my music for. Dr. Cooper has some advice for those who would make music with a message of protest. So I think uh, the idea to study history, to see, you know, what can we take away from that uh, to make what we do today pertinent and, and profound and to affect change. For, for, for what we're trying to deal with now. I think that that's what artists need to do. Dexter, Chris, and Mike all continue to play music around town. Mike and Dexter still attend the Soul Review class at IU, and they perform together in a band called Huckleberry Funk. Despite the obstacles artists like Kendrick Lamar face, Dexter is anxious to follow in Lamar's footsteps. And he continues to write music that while fun, also discusses current issues. I just want to follow their path. I want to follow the Kendrick Lamar path. I want to follow the Tupac path. It, it's a game changer when you can go to the club and you're hearing, even though, yes, you're having a good time and, yes, you're, you're dancing and stuff, you're listening to something that's, that's provoking thought. You're mm -hmm. listening to something that's telling you, yeah, dan dance the pain away, but tomorrow we got to go fight. Are they watching now? For Cafe Indiana, I'm Aubrey Cedar.